Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, opening ourselves up to God and baptism. The Israelites demonstrate their faith and allegiance to God before their first battle. This is Joshua 5. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. So why do we get baptized, and is this essential for our salvation? Why are there certain commands in the Old Testament that we don't follow anymore, and why do we follow the things that we do? These are the things we're going to be answering today in our lesson. So a few weeks ago, Joshua sent two spies into Jericho to check out the land before they went into that area for battle. And when they got there, they encountered a prostitute whose name was Rahab. And she told them that all of the people on the western side of the Jordan had heard all of the things that God had done for his people. They knew how God had brought them out of Egypt by parting the Red Sea and letting them walk across on dry ground. They had heard how God had helped them defeat the Amorites on the eastern side of the Jordan, and everyone was afraid. Then last week, we talked about how they crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. Also, God stopped the flow of the Jordan River and allowed them to cross. So twice now, God has parted the waters for his people to walk across, and he's helped them defeat two of the Amorite kings on the eastern side of the Jordan. And there are also Amorites that are living on the western side of the Jordan and then a whole bunch of other people and they've heard all of these things and these people are in their land. So if they weren't afraid before, they're very afraid now. So Joshua chapter 5 starts out by telling them how afraid the people are. And then God says, okay, now I need you to make yourselves ready. Here in a few days, you're going to begin your first battle. But first, I need you to renew your covenant with me by being circumcised. All of their fathers had been circumcised, but they failed to circumcise their sons when they were wandering around in the wilderness. And this is something that God had commanded for his people to do. Centuries before, whenever God went to Abraham and asked him to leave his land and go to this unknown place, he told him, I will make you into a great nation and I will give that nation this land that I'm taking you to. And so Abraham set out for this place. And when he got there, God said, this is the land. And Abraham stayed in that land and he raised his family there, even though he never owned one piece of that land, except for the land that him and his family were buried on. That's the only piece of land that he actually bought. But he lived as a stranger on that land, knowing that God would eventually give this land to his family. The only problem is he had no children yet. And so him and his wife, Sarah, after several years, decided we're not having any kids. 
Sarah, maybe you're barren and maybe I can have children. And so they decided that Sarah was going to give her maidservant, Hagar, to Abraham and he could have children through her. And they did this. And so Abraham was excited. He thought that this land was going to go to this son, Ishmael, to his descendants. But when Ishmael was 13 years old, God came to him and he said, this was never my plan. That was you and Sarah's plan. My plan was for you and Sarah to have a child together. At this time next year, I'm going to come back to you and Sarah will have had a son. And through that son, who they name Isaac, the promise of this land is going to be through that son. And so this was God renewing his covenant with him, renewing the promise that he had made to him years ago. And when he renewed the promise this time, he said, now I want you to do something as a sign of this promise to me. What you're going to do is you and Ishmael and all of the men that are living in your household are going to be circumcised. And this is going to set you apart from all the rest of the people in this nation. And it is going to demonstrate your faith towards me. It's going to show everyone that you belong to me. And this will be your part of the covenant to me. And so Abraham does this. And this is supposed to happen with every generation following. But as I said, all of them did this up until this generation's dads. And then they just quit circumcising their sons while they were wandering around in the wilderness for these 40 years. And so these sons are about to inherit this nation that was promised to Abraham that they're standing in right now. And so God says, I use circumcision to distinguish Abraham from the rest of the people living here in this nation. And so I need all of you to be circumcised now so that you can distinguish yourselves and so that you can demonstrate your faith to me and show your allegiance to me. And so they're all circumcised immediately as soon as they get into this land. Now, this would take more faith for them to do than it did for their fathers because they're, they just arrived in enemy territory, right? And now they're going to do surgery with no anesthesia and no modern uh, ways of healing. And these men are going to take several days to heal. And so they have to trust God a lot to obey him in this. They must believe that he's actually going to keep them safe until they heal and then bring them victory in their first battle or they wouldn't do it. So this is another act of faith on their part. Remember last week I said crossing the Jordan on dry ground was just their first act of faith and that God was going to ask them to do this many, many more times. And so now they're having to trust that God's going to protect them in this land from all of the enemies while they're healing from this surgery. And so they do it. And then after they're all circumcised, God says, today I have rolled your shame away. They must have been in such a state of shame and desolation, right? The Egyptians must have been looking on them like, okay, so God rescued you from us to take you where? For you to get what? What was the purpose? You had Goshen as your land. Yes, you were our slaves, but you at least had 
food there and you had land there. God took you out of that place and you wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years with no food and no land of your own. So what was the point? And so they have been looking like a shamed nation. And God says, today, I have rolled that shame away. Today, you're no longer disgraced and in desolation. Instead, you are coming into this land honored and feared, and you will soon be victorious. God is changing the state of their nation today in this new generation. Yes, their fathers, they rejected this land. They did not trust God. And so they were disgraced and in a desolate land. But for this new generation, God is changing everything. They have a new status, right? So when God tells them that he's going to roll their shame away, they take this word roll and they decide to call the place that they're standing on, the place that they have been camping, Gilgal, which means roll. It's going to remind them that God rolled our shame away in this place when we entered this land. And this is the place that they stacked those 12 stones that we talked about last week to remind themselves how God had brought them across the Jordan River. And then the actual spot that they're all circumcised, they call by a Hebrew name that I cannot pronounce, but it means the hill of the foreskins, which is absolutely gross, right? But they are all about remembering all of these things, right? And so when they see this hill, they'll remember that God rolled their shame away when they did these things. And when they see that stack of rocks, they're going to remember that God brought them across the Jordan River on dry ground and that they're there safely. And so this is a reminder of all that God has already done for them, all God is about to do for them, and of their renewed commitment to him. Now, last week, whenever it told us about them crossing the Jordan River, it says that they crossed on the 10th day of the first month. This day for their fathers was the day that they selected the Passover lamb. And then a few days later on the 14th is when they slaughtered that lamb. And with the blood of that lamb, they put it on the doorposts of their house and then went inside to eat the meal. They did all this because God was about to invoke the last plague on, on the Egyptians. He had already told them that if they did not let the people go, he was going to kill their firstborn sons. He said, let my firstborn son, Israel, go, my nation, or I will kill your sons. And they refused. And so this plague was about to happen. And God said, here is here are the things that I want you to do. Take this lamb on the 10th day, then slaughter it on the 14th, put the blood around your doorpost, and then go in and eat this meal. And while you're eating the meal, the angel of death is going to pass through the land. And the houses that he sees the blood on the door, he's going to know, oh, blood's already been spilt for this house. And he will pass over that house and go to the next house until he finds a home that does not have blood on the doorpost. Now, 
none of the Egyptians will have blood on the doorposts and all of the Israelites will. And so that is why it's called the Passover. God passed over all of the Israelites' homes and spared their firstborn sons and killed all of the Egyptians' sons. And this compelled the Egyptians to send them out of the country in a mass exodus. And because they were hurried out so quickly, they had no time to even put the yeast in their bread. And so they took their bread with them and ran out of the country. And so they had to eat unleavened bread, bread without yeast, for the next week until that bread was gone. And so they were supposed to celebrate this exact time every single year by doing these exact things, by selecting a lamb on the 10th day, slaughtering it on the 14th, eating the Passover meal, and then eating unleavened bread for the following week. Every year they were supposed to do this to remember how God brought them out of Egypt. Now, as far as we can tell, they only did this the first year after they got out. After they practiced the Passover, then they were supposed to go into the new land and they were supposed to continue this, but they rejected the land, God rejected them, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, did not circumcise their sons, did not practice the Passover. So this will be the first Passover that is practiced since the very first year that their fathers left Egypt, but it will be their very first Passover that they are celebrating as a nation. And that's the other reason that they had to hurry and get circumcised because the rules of the Passover say you cannot celebrate the Passover if you are an uncircumcised man because this is what distinguishes you from everyone else. This is what says you belong to God and those that belong to God celebrate the Passover. Those that are celebrating what God had done for their nation. And so since they left on the 10th day, they had to hurry up because the 14th was the day that they were supposed to celebrate the Passover. And so they did this. They crossed on the 10th, then they were circumcised and they celebrated the Passover on the 14th. Now, also while they were in the wilderness, there was no food there. So they ate this unleavened bread until it was gone and then they had no food. And they cried out to God and God sent them bread from the sky. He told Moses, he said, tell the people that every single day I'm going to send bread. And when the dew lifts, the bread will be on the ground and they are to go out and collect it. And this is how they ate for 40 straight years because there was no food in this wilderness. They were supposed to get to go into the promised land and then they would have had plenty of food, but they rejected that. And so they have been being fed by God every single day for 40 years. But after they celebrated the Passover, renewing their commitment, remembering how God had saved them for this exact purpose to come into this land, then they're there and they don't need this sweet bread from heaven anymore, right? Because they are in the land of plenty. They can eat whatever they want. They can just walk over there and pick something off the tree or off the vine. And, and they're also going to be able to grow their own food. And so no more do they need this manna. And so on the 15th of that year, the manna stopped coming and, it, and God never fed them again because he's now feeding them with this luscious, wonderful land 
that he had promised to Abraham centuries before. So how wonderful. This is a great time for them, right? They're excited and they're ready. Now, before they go into their first battle, Joshua is standing there looking out at the at the land. And all of a sudden, he sees this man with his sword drawn. And he doesn't recognize this man. And so he says, who are you? Are you with the Israelites? Or are you from the army of one of these nations living here? And he said, neither. I am the commander of the Lord's army. And at that moment, Joshua bows down to him. And the man says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Now, this word for man just means male. And so there's speculation as to whether this was an angel or whether this was actually Jesus himself. Most, I think, believe that this was Jesus himself because normally if someone bows down to even an angel, the angel says, no, no, don't bow down to me. I'm not God. And that doesn't happen here. Also, the ground is holy because of this man. So I think that the general consensus among most scholars is that this was Jesus, the commander of God's army coming to Joshua to show him, hey, I'm with you. You're about to enter this battle and I need you to know, I've already told you multiple times that I'm going to be fighting with you, but I want you to see it with your very own eyes. I want you to see that I am here and I'm fighting with you and fighting for you and providing that I am the most powerful in all of heaven and earth, you will win. Now, it is also possible that this was an angel and he allowed him to fall down and worship and the ground was holy because he was a representative of God. He's coming in God's name. And so he represents God and therefore can be treated as God. This is also a popular opinion. So you can make your own mind up what you believe on that. But there's no doubt the reason that this man came was to show Joshua that he is really there fighting with him. Now, the other thing that is significant here for Joshua specifically is that this is exactly how God came to Moses whenever he called him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. He came to him through a burning bush And he said, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And then he said, I want you to leave my people out of Egypt. He's coming to Joshua in the same way at the beginning of his time of leadership, leading the people into the promised land, letting them take possession of it. He's coming to him saying, you are on holy ground. Take your shoes off. And this is confirmation again to Joshua that you are the leader. I'm with you just as I was with Moses. So again, super uh, encouraging to Joshua. He is ready for this time. Now, what does this have to do with us? What can we learn from this story? Let's talk about this whole thing about circumcision. After the Israelites had shown their belief in God by crossing over the Jordan River, 
God asks them to demonstrate their faith and their allegiance in him with some sort of outward symbol, right? By cutting off this skin, the men would definitely stay cleaner. And so that's a plus, but that's not the purpose. This is a spiritual thing. This is symbolizing the cutting away of their sin and being cleansed from it. This being clean is showing that the people are being cleansed from this sin. And this uncovers them and it makes them vulnerable to God. This is the symbolism that is happening with their outward action. Moses told them a little bit about this, used this analogy of circumcision to explain the inward things that are happening to them in Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 16. And so I'm going to read that here to you. It says, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep his commands and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose his descendants after them, you above all the people as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. So this physical circumcision is symbolizing the circumcision of their hearts. An uncircumcised heart gives this picture of being closed off and not listening. So God wants our hearts to be uncovered so we can let him in. That's the whole purpose. And this was supposed to be a lasting covenant. Remember, we said that, that this was supposed to be a lasting covenant between all of their children. Every single person that belonged to the Israelites was supposed to be circumcised. But whenever the Israelites, the, who became known as the Jews, when they rejected Jesus as the Messiah, then God extended salvation to all of the world. Now, anyone from any nation who believes in Jesus can become God's child. And that meant that large numbers of people that had never been circumcised as infants are now coming to the faith, be, becoming Christians. And this creates a big question for the Jews that did believe in Jesus because they're like, okay, so now do they need to be circumcised? Because God said all of his children need to be circumcised. So do we require that these grown men be circumcised in order to become Christians? Or is this just for the Jews? How does all of this work? And so they assembled a group of leaders together in Jerusalem and they discussed this. And this happened in Acts 15. And I'm going to just read you a couple of passages in chapter 15 and how this whole meeting went down. So they're discussing it, kind of arguing amongst each other. And then Peter, who is the one that God came to in the first place and said, hey, the Jews rejected me. And now this is extended to the Gentiles, which is everyone else. Peter is the one that God came to and told that. And so Peter speaks up and he says, 
So God came to me and he said, by your mouth, the Gentiles shall hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he gave it to us. And he didn't make any distinction between us and them. And he purified their hearts by faith. So why do we test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor us were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall all be saved in the same manner as them. So Peter is saying, God knew that he was going to save these people and he knew they were uncircumcised. So why are we adding this requirement to them when God extended this to them while they were uncircumcised? And then James speaks up. And he says, with this, the words of the prophet agree. He says, the prophets agree with what Peter is saying. He says, if you think back to the things that they've been, that we know that have been said in the Old Testament by the prophets, this lines up, which this is what we're supposed to do, right? Whenever someone comes to us and says, this is what I believe, you're supposed to say, does that line up with the Bible? That's what James is doing. He says, hey, what Peter is saying happened to him, how God came to him and told him these things. And he's deducing from that that this is what's supposed to happen. This lines up with what the prophets say. And he says, this was known to God from eternity. Therefore, I judge that we shouldn't trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. And so... They convinced the rest of the people and the whole assembly agreed on this and they wrote a letter to the Gentile churches to be delivered to them that says, you do not have to be circumcised like us in order to join the faith. This is not a requirement of you. Now, one of those prophets that talked about this was Jeremiah and he said in 9.25 through 26, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised. And then he lists nations like Egypt, Judah, Edom, the people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the furthest corners who dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised. All the house of Israel are uncircumcised in their hearts. So he's explaining this again. And the early church is realizing he was talking about us. This time has come and these Jews who are circumcised but don't believe in Jesus, their hearts are uncircumcised. This is what Jeremiah was speaking of because they would not let Jesus in because their hearts were closed off. Then their circumcision in the flesh doesn't even matter. Paul explained this to the Romans in Romans 2, 25 to 29, saying, Circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, then your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you? who even with your written code and circumcision are transgressors of the law. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, 
whose praise is not from men, but from God. So, if the heart of the person is not circumcised, then it doesn't matter if the body is. And if the body is circumcised, but the heart isn't, then it doesn't matter that the body is. That's what he's saying. What matters is being open to God, willing, trusting, believing. Those are the things that matter to God. Galatians 5, 6 says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Faith is what matters. That's what he's saying. But because this is hard for some of the believing Jews to accept, and because some of the Gentiles are still worried about this, Paul has to continue to explain this to the churches in the different letters that he writes to the people. And I'm just going to read you another quote from Romans when he's speaking to the church in Rome. And he first quotes David and he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And then he says, But is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. But how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he already had in his faith while he was uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who walk in the footsteps of the father that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents to the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there's no law, there's no transgression. That's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And then skip down to the very last couple of verses, and it says, but these words that it was counted to him as righteousness, these were not just written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will also be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is all in Romans 4. And so this circumcision was just an outward symbol of the inward faith that they had. Very much like our profession of faith that we show through baptism. If we have the faith of Abraham and we believe in the God that delivered Jesus up, for our sin and raised him from the dead to set us right with God, then that too is counted to us for righteousness. Then we are righteous and then God asks us to demonstrate our faith with a sign, just as they demonstrated their faith with the sign of circumcision, we demonstrate our faith with the sign of baptism. 
It says in Colossians 2, 11 to 14, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, nailed it to the cross. This is the picture of what Jesus did for us and the picture of baptism for us. Just as the circumcision was cutting away of the sin and making them look clean, baptism is a picture of our sins being buried with Christ and then the water washing them away, you know, figuratively, and then us raising again, clean, pure, a new creation, starting over. Just as these Israelites are the second generation making a new covenant with God, starting over as a new nation, that's what we get to do if we believe in the God that sent Jesus to die for our sins and then raised him from the dead so that we could live again anew with him. That is why we are baptized, to outwardly show what we inwardly believe. It's an outward expression of our inward faith. It gives us a picture of what's happening in our own life, where this old person is passing away, dying with Jesus, all of our sins, nailed to the cross, gone, wiped away. And then we're, we're clean and we're rising again. This is the picture. So uncover your heart. Let God in. Listen to him. Make him your Lord and Savior. Follow him all the days of your life. Keep your heart open so that God can, can talk to you and share this life with you. Walk in the steps of Abraham who is walking in faith with God. He loved us to make the man that didn't know sin to be sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God. So he can do that for us. Then we can open ourselves to him and follow him. So that is the lesson for us today. Next week, we will talk about the battle of Jericho. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Also, if you would like all of the references that are going on in this lesson, because there were a ton, then subscribe on Substack so that you can get these lessons emailed to you every week, written down, see all of the references and the things that I may not have the time to tell y'all here. And then don't forget to go to livethroughjesus.com, look at the blog posts and the things that are there. Get your free Bible study if you haven't. It is over Abraham and it talks about some of this. So it'd be a good thing for you to get if you haven't gotten it. It's totally free. Okay, that's all we have for this week. So thanks and have a good day.